Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Seniors Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. The show, formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, has been rebranded with expanded content and topics. All of the previous episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. My co-host, Rubina Chaudhry, is on hiatus for a few weeks. Today's guest on Seniors Straight Talk is someone I've been wanting to meet since reading his book, Life Worth Living. He's one of my professional heroes, and meeting him is truly a wish come true. Dr. Bill Thomas is a visionary who has totally transformed how we think about and design nursing homes so that they deliver a dignified, respectful environment, providing quality care, quality of life, and life with purpose for our elders. In addition to his book, Life Worth Living, he's written In the Arms of Elders, one of my personal favorites, What Are Old People For? and Second Win. After transforming a small nursing home in upstate New York, he created the Greenhouse Project, which takes into account concepts from the Eden Alternative. The Wall Street Journal called the greenhouses nothing less than a revolution and said the greenhouse concept is the most comprehensive effort to reinvent the nursing home. Dr. Bill Thomas has delivered several TED Talks, speaks around the world, and has developed a style of home for older adults called Minka Homes. I'm beyond thrilled and honored that Dr. Thomas has agreed to join me for a conversation on Seniors Straight Talk. Welcome, Dr. Thomas. Well, thanks for having me, Phyllis. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Oh, thanks an awful lot. I, I don't know if... Um, if you can hear my smile through the phone. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I've got I a smile, too, so that makes two of us. Okay, that's great. Um, I'm so happy that you're here. And um, for, for people who are listening that don't know about the Greenhouse Project and the Eden Alternative, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about how this all started and um, you know, how you came up with this, this brilliant concept for how really we should be caring for our elder citizens, which is really what we should be doing. Yeah, I, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll give a little background on this because I, I think it's relevant. I, I actually grew up in, yeah, I grew up in uh, Appalachia, and, uh, and I was surrounded in my whole life by an extended family, multi-generational family. And uh, I grew up, kind of left home, went to school, uh, I never knew that I had older relatives. I only had relatives. Uh, I mean, they were just all the people who loved me, and I loved them. And I wound up going to med school and, uh, you know, started practice as a geriatrician, uh, you know, a physician specializing in aging. And what I discovered was that, you know, the way, the way people live in nursing homes – 
was so completely alien to me and what I had encountered growing up with my great-grandmother, my great-aunt and uncle, that I just felt like, you know, something really important had to be done. So early in my career, I, I kind of collaborated with my wife, Jude, and we, we asked a pretty simple question, like, and I'll ask, you know, your listeners the same question. If somebody gave you a choice and said, you can either live in a hospital or you can live in a garden, mm. uh, uh, most people would say, I'll live in the garden. And I'll live in the hospital if I have to, you know, like, but I'm not living there. And yet, <laughs> right. and yet you know, the, the nursing home was a lot, if you look at a nursing home today, you know, it's a lot more like a hospital than it is like a garden. So that's where Absolutely. this idea... Yeah, this idea of the Eden alternative came from a, a pretty simple idea. Of, well, okay, if you're going to live in a garden, what do you, what's going to be there, you know? And so in the early years of our work, we really focused on putting life into the environment with plants and animals and children and, um, and you know, watching people get excited about life again. It was pretty, pretty great. As we went along, we also came to understand that we have to change how people treat each other uh, in nursing homes. And, and that really has to do with how management treats staff, how staff treat elders, how elders treat each other. All, all of that uh, can be changed and improved. So, so anyway, that's kind of how it got started for me. So... Um this, I, I actually visited uh, a greenhouse, the first urban greenhouse, the Leonard Florence Center for oh, Living. Oh, yeah, sure, I've been there. Uh, which, which was built from the ground up and, um, yeah. by Barry Berman. Yeah. And then yeah. he went yeah. back and transformed the original nursing home where his mother was, Chelsea Jewish, to resemble yeah. as much as he could um, a greenhouse model. But, Yay. Uh, but can you tell the listeners what exactly um, you brought into that nursing home to create an Eden type of environment? Because it is so beyond remarkable. I, um, I'm a speech pathologist by profession, and you and I had this conversation briefly uh, mm -hmm. last week. And um, in my little speech pathology world, I know the incredible difficulties there are to make changes, even the smallest changes that I do within my scope of practice. Yeah, but right, even when right. I've tried to make changes out, outside of that scope of practice, as I said to you, it was like sometimes I felt like I was a fish swimming upstream against indomitable currents. Well, yeah, you know, so here's the big question that people like you and I face, you know, <laughs> You know, you work really hard to change an institution. Well, let me tell you something. Institutions are designed to not change. That's why they're institutions, because they <laughs> don't change. That's the whole idea. So when, when you're working with people who are working in an institution and you say to them, hey, how about if we change this or we change that? They're, you know, people don't say it out loud, but they're, they're kind of like, well, wait a minute, we're not supposed to change. We're supposed to keep things the same. Right. And that's really what, what most institutions do. And, you know, you and I have both had success, you know, around the edges, you know, changing things where we could, when we could, how we could. 
and uh, I'm, I'm all for that. Well, what you did in this nursing home, creating an Eden type of environment, please explain that to people because when I read it, I I just, it was astounding to me. Well, um, so, so what, what Jude and I, my wife Jude and I got to thinking is maybe we, it's more, maybe we need to change the architecture as well as the culture. So um, we started work on this. Actually, now I'll just tell you that the early work on this started about 20 years ago. But the point was, we, we asked the question, if, if you could take all the ideas of the Eden Alternative and instead of trying to reform a nursing home, you could just build something brand new up out of the ground, designed up out of the ground, what would you do? And... Um, for us, the answer is you'd build a house, mm-hmm. and it would be a house that was, as, the, as Goldilocks says, just right mm-hmm. for older people, and um, you would, I'll tell you a few things that you would do, because uh, I think you would do them too. Um, you'd make a nice kitchen in the center of the house. Mm-hmm. You'd have a big wooden table where people can share their meals together. You'd, you'd have a fireplace, a fire that people can sit around and enjoy uh, the flickering flames. You'd have, each person would have their own room and their own bathroom. Mm-hmm. So what we, what we did is kind of created a, a, a shared household uh, for 10 elders uh, who would otherwise be living in a nursing home. And we called it the greenhouse. So the greenhouse is really our Eden philosophy with a new architecture uh, that was designed to help people live better lives and be happier because that's what we want. We want right. to live life and be happy. That's what Absolutely. we want. Absolutely, and, and, have, and have a purpose that a lot of people think as people get older, they, don't, they no longer have a purpose or they don't need a purpose, well, but that's a basic human mm-hmm. need. Uh, whatever that simple purpose can be as you advance in years and maybe have limited abilities or declining abilities, there's still a, a purpose that you can serve in your environment. Yeah, I, you know, one of my friends has a saying, um, the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. Right. <laughs> right, I like so, that. Uh, so, you know, kind of the question is, how does changing architecture change purpose? That's a really good question. Right. And I think the answer really comes down to relationships. So mm-hmm. one of the things about an institutional nursing home is that everybody is replaceable and everybody is replaced. So the institution just goes on and on and on, but all the people change. Correct. You know, if you, if you go into a nursing home and walk out the door and then go back 10 years later, <laughs> almost no one who was there the last time you were there will still be, be there. Maybe possibly no one. Well, uh, so, well uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. let me just interject. Unfortunately, sometimes there yeah. are some people that are still there doing the same thing in the same way, well, that, which is what what we said. Is, what you said at the beginning, right? Yeah, very true. So, so, uh, so anyway, we found that if we shifted our focus uh, and made our focus relationships rather than professional roles. And we concentrated on relationships. That's where you find purpose is in relationships. Right. So 
Um, and when people started knowing each other better, uh, people were better at finding their purpose. So I'll give you a, I'll give you one little example that comes from uh, a meal I had at a greenhouse a few years back. Uh, I was invited in as a guest, and they had made dinner, and we were sitting at the big wooden table, and the woman across from me uh, was making what what a doctor, what I recognize as um, repetitive vocalizations, you know, saying the same word over and over again, which, you know, as a geriatrician, that doesn't bother me at all. But, but the woman sitting next to her uh, leaned across the table to me and said, now, you're a guest here, so I just want to let you know that, you know, this woman, the, her name, um, she's just fine. That's just her way of talking. That's just how she talks. So it's fine. And so my, oh, my wonderful, terrific. yes, my dinner mate was letting me know it was okay not to worry because she was, you know, repeating the same words over and over. And it was, everything was fine. And I thought to myself, now there's a woman who takes care of other people. Right. Um, she was doing a remarkable thing at that moment. She was taking care of me and she was taking care of her friend who uh, was repeating uh, words, taking care of both of us and reassuring both of us that we could have a nice meal together and enjoy the evening and everything was going to be all right. And um, that's the kind of thing that I think is the magic of relationships and purpose, when you get the architecture right and when you get the culture right, it's all there. Um, people people want to want to be useful to others if you give them a chance. Absolutely, and they want to belong. And uh, one of the uh, things that I liked when when reading about the greenhouse project, um, because not only have is the architecture changed and the relationships changed? And you'd said something crucial, with, which is how people are treated from, um, including how management treats the people that are yeah, employed great. with them. And I, I actually yeah. just wrote an article about that, and you and I talked about that, how important mm -hmm. that is if you value the people that you're working for and have relationships mm -hmm. with them, they in turn will... You know, there's a trickle-down effect, and, and that can impact how they care for the people that, are, uh, that reside in these buildings. And um, interestingly enough, so there are different, there's different terminology, which creates a whole different shift in how you think about the people that are mm -hmm. working in these places, mm -hmm. the Shabazz, the guide, the Yeah, stage. right. Um, can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. So, you know, there's a, it's funny what happens when you stop for a minute and just ask simple questions. Uh, I'll give you a simple question uh, that uh, when you stop and ask it, it makes you wonder. So in a traditional nursing home, uh, there are people who have a job called CNA. We call it CNA, called Certified Nursing Assistant. Right. That sounds like, yeah, okay, I get that. But if you stop for a minute and you ask yourself, Oh, well, this person's a nursing assistant. They're there to help mm. the nurses. Mm. What about the elders? <laughs> Who's there to help the elders? You know, like what? <laughs> you know, I. So I love it. I, I yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so what we did is we uh, we gave 
people an opportunity to expand their skill set and become uh, um, what we called the midwife of elderhood. And that sounds, maybe that sounds a little goofy or weird, but hang on. Elderhood is a journey. You know, right. And pe- people living in long-term care settings, man, they've gone on a long journey. And, you know, there's been some brilliant, beautiful parts and some hard parts. And, you know, now here they are and they need some extra help to get through the day. That's, they're beautiful people. Just need a little extra help getting through the day. And when you say to somebody, it's your job to help people have a great day, that's your job, then what you realize is relationships matter and you're not the nurse's assistant anymore. You're now here to help the elders have a great day. Right. And so we we took a word... Um, so people out there in your audience who like words will enjoy this. We, we took an ancient Persian word for, that means the king's falcons, Shabazz, the king's falcons. Uh-huh. And Shabazz means um, the best, the very best, the best of the best of the best of the best of all the falcons in the world were the king's falcons. So a Shabazz is somebody who's the best of the best of the best in the world at help, help having elders have a great day. And then, because we're just making stuff up, we uh, pluralized Shabbaz with uh, the Hebrew I am. So if you have one Shabbaz and two Shabbazim. Right. And now here's what's funny about this. Well, it's not funny. It's, it's life. Um, people who did the training and started to work as a Shabazz, uh, I remember coming one day to work and seeing the, a car in the parking lot with Shabazz on the um, license plate because somebody was so proud of the role they were playing. They were no longer an assistant to the nursing home. They were now charged with the sacred duty of helping elders have the best day possible. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. How transformative. You know, we, well, we you talk... Well, it's like little, thing, little things make big difference. Absolutely. And we, we, we talk about <clears throat> language and, and, and how it affects how our attitudes about a lot of things. Of course, you and I and a lot of people, obviously, are talking about how we use words to describe older people and how mm-hmm. that affects our attitudes towards older people. And um, we, we think about it mostly in that realm, but you know, when you're saying this and saying this in this way, shouldn't we have words that transform how people feel about the work they're doing, about the people they're serving, and what a difference mm-hmm. that would make in the care that people experience in the nursing yeah. home environment. I mean yes. that's that's tremendous, and then so that's the Shabbat, the Shabbaz or the Shabbazim, uh-huh. and then what yeah. about the guide and the sage? So, so a couple of things. Um, it's my opinion that uh, too much bossiness is unpleasant. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to say Only for, yours? personally. <laughs> yeah, well, I've never been a big fan of bossiness, um, and. 
I, I just want you to know that a conventional nursing home is a very bossy place. Uh, Loads of bossing going on around there. Absolutely. So, Lord have mercy. Um, <laughs> so, so what if instead of all this bossing, we had somebody who was there to guide and coach people and help them be really, really good at what they do. So, you know, when we, we, we see this in sports, you know, the, the coach of the team, you know, the best coaches bring out the best in the athletes. They don't just, they don't just tell the athlete, you go score a touchdown. Well, that's not going to work. You've you got to help the person have the skills and the knowledge and the stamina and, you know, to teamwork to get it all done. So what if we had less bossiness? That was my, that's a big thing, <laughs> less bossiness. So I, uh, I'm thinking that converting from an manager or administrator to a guide really puts the emphasis on the journey. You know, we're all on this journey. And right. the elders living in the greenhouse, they're on a journey. The Shabazim working with the elders every day, they're on a journey. The guide is on a journey. So let's work together to make it a really great journey. And so you hear this language and you hear this way of talking and you realize that that's not how they talk in conventional long-term care. And you know that because you spend right, a lot absolutely. of time there. Right. Yeah, so that's, it's really tremendous. Um, there is a, um, a program uh, that was developed by Cameron Camp Montessori for Dementia. Yeah. And um and I've actually um you know talked with um Cameron several several times. And um over the course of of the months uh from when we first connected at the latter part of last year, I started thinking about um how we can use that concept for leadership and management and mm-hmm. um I um you know, thought of how how to apply that. I I believe he's worked on developing some some um, I'll say programs for it. You know, formalizing mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. I've I've been talking about it, talking about it in facilities, uh, writing articles about it. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. what does that take into account? It talk, takes into account what Montessori stood for: respect, dignity, yeah. treating each right. person um, as they are uh, for the maximum that they can participate in their potential and giving mm-hmm. them the freedom to do that, that doesn't mean there's quote-unquote like lawlessness or no sense of order, but do it in a way that respects the individual, and that is basically what you're talking about, it sounds like. Well, that's, you know, uh, Maria Montessori um, founded, I believe, her entire approach based on human dignity, and that Correct. very young people... Uh, were worthy of their own dignity and that a, a great deal of trust and faith could be put in them and it would be rewarded. Um, <laughs> I, you know, here I am a century or so later and I have the, basically the same feelings, yes, about small children, but also about elders, that elders, including elders living with cognitive change, elders living with uh, changes in physical mobility, um, elders living with sensory changes, all, all elders, 
robust, healthy elders, all elders are worthy of dignity and respect. And if we're willing to stop being so bossy and listen, they also have learned a thing or two on the ride. And um, if you if you pay some attention, they can teach you a few things about life. So that's the basis that, you know, the work I do is based, that's where I come from. I'm like, uh, absolutely. Um, I was interviewed on a, a little uh, podcast the other day, and the gal asked me what I found to be one of the uh, greatest rewarding experiences of, of serving older adults. Mm-hmm. And what I said to her was, what I learned from them, actually. And well, yeah, there you uh, go. Right. I'm 67, and I've had many older adults, 10, 15, 20, 30 years my senior, tell me that I'm just a kid. And it really puts it in perspective for you. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and, you know, um, I, I just, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, you are, you are so right that you're basically a kid, um, and that's fine. And 20 years from now, you're going to know a lot more about life than you know today. And I just want to tell you one little thing I picked up from elders. Uh, I, I started, you know, I, I'm, a, so I'm a very passionate person, so sometimes I really get wound up about things, especially oh, me too. if I think, yeah, if I think something's unjust, it really wraps me around the axle. So, so anyway, I, uh, I also like to imagine, I call it my inner elder, which is sort of me 20 years from now, and right. how the me from 20 years would now, from now, if it, I could sit across the table from the me of today, how the me of 20 years from now would advise me to proceed, you know, like, worry less, do more, okay, dude? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh, you know, this is your time. Take advantage of it, you know, things like that. So what would the older me know that I should know right now? And that turns out to be actually super helpful to me. Mm. Well, I, I, would, I, would, I would suppose that in a way that's no different than looking at yourself now and, and trying to reflect on where you were 20 oh. years ago. Oh my God! Right? So twenty. Uh, yeah, yeah, so exactly. You're 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 sixty-seven. I'm sixty right now. So twenty years ago, I was forty, and at that time, I had five children, ten and under, and um, I had uh, at at the time, you know, my wife and I, uh, two of our children were living with chronic illness. Mm-hmm. and uh, I was living in a farmhouse without electricity uh, in a rural part of Appalachia. That's where, and I have to say, those were great years, but would I go back to that? No. You know, right, but what I, you uh, could tell yourself now, right, based yeah. on what you learned over the past 20 oh, years, yeah. Listen, we're going to take a a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. But uh, this has just been so fantastic for me, and I'm sure for our listeners, just to to hear your insights and your how you how you've transformed how many people think about how we're caring for older adults in this industry, but 
what are the challenges moving forward because there are many. So we'll be back in a few. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of All of Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org for further information. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now, back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Dr. Bill Thomas having a phenomenal conversation about how he has transformed how we think about and care for our elders. And um, wow, Dr. Thomas, I don't know what to say. Can I call you Bill, by the way? Yeah, sure. That's oh, what, well, great. actually, my uh, I I grew up. Uh, uh, there are a lot of Bills in my family, so I actually grew up as Billy. But uh, oh, well, when I, I don't left think home, I, fe- I don't think I feel <laughs> comfortable calling you. <laughs> I don't think I could yeah. quite go there. Bill is as far yeah. as I can go. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I was, but, I'll reserve um, that for my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, anyway, you know, we were talking about uh, how people uh, sh- should be treated differently, not only the people that we're caring mm-hmm. for, but the people who work in facilities. And, um, and um, you would, we, would, we left off talking about where we are now and people who are older, the wisdom. I call them the wisdom keepers. Actually, my first blog mm-hmm. post was called the wisdom keepers. And um, mm-hmm. you said something about... Um, you know, how you were living, you know, 20 years ago. And um, right. mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a remarkable story. You want to talk about it just a, for a few moments? Well, you know, um, I guess they have the old saying, um, you could take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. So as I was mentioning at the top of the broadcast, I, you know, I grew up in a rural area. Uh, close to my family, close to the earth, close to the woods and the creek and 
you know, I just had this feeling that um, if if I stayed close uh, to those things, I'd, I'd feel at home. So, you know, I went off to college and I went to med school in Boston and, and I did my residency training. And then as soon as I could, I got back to the land, so to speak. So um, that meant, you know, for me, kind of building my own house and growing my own food and raising uh, dairy goats and um, using draft horses and living off the grid. And I have to tell you, that, and I'm just saying to people, I know that people listen to your um, podcast, you know, they sometimes wonder about things like this, but I found at that time that the amount of openness and the lack of frenzy and the settled nature of how I was living gave me a lot of time to write and think. And I wrote a lot of stuff that was never published in a, a lot. But that, those years were really important to me for figuring out what I really believed about things. And I, I, I had friends of mine who, who I trained with who went off into very prestigious careers, but they were busy all the time. And, um, you know, in the later years, they complained to me a little bit about how they didn't really have time for some of the things that they felt like really mattered. And it's one of the things that I'm grateful for in my life is that I have had time to think, to slow down, to try to be clear about what I believe, and to sort things out. And I just encourage people, this idea of slowing down, we say it in aging, we say it like it's a terrible sin, mm -hmm. but it was really great for me to be able to slow down when I was young. Well, um, very possibly, um, I'll say uh, it's really not metaphorically, but just something you just hit on, as people get older and, and slow down, uh, probably mm -hmm. physically slow down, even if they're active mm -hmm. people, they don't, you know, our bodies slow down in, in various ways. That's just a reality. Mm -hmm. uh, that gives you the opportunity to think and reflect on what you've experienced in your life. And um, that's probably where the, where, where, where the real wisdom, um, I would venture to say, maybe comes about. What do you think? Yeah, I do. I mean, I... Um, so here's the thing. In our culture, speed is associated with youth. So speed, strength, agility, aggression, competitive aggression, you know. Yeah. Uh, those things, uh, uh, or maybe we even call it um, ambition, you know. Those things are really centered. They're a cluster of virtues that are centered around youth. And they're great, and they're awesome. And who doesn't love to watch the Olympics and see people run incredibly fast and jump incredibly high? It's awesome. But they're just one set of virtues. They're not all the virtues. There's other sets of virtues. And aging has its own set of virtues, mm -hmm. part, part of which, you know, among them are slowness, you know, clarity, Reflection. Reflection. Um, 
you know, many, not all, many older people begin to value relationships and experiences over money and possessions, okay? Um, or they value uh, the opportunity to give to others in a new way uh, as an older person. And a lot of us have had that experience with older people. But my point is there's a whole cluster of virtues that are centered around aging. And they're not better than youthful virtues, virtues, and they're not worse. They're just different. Right. And the, the real, there's a real ton of suffering that comes for older people who remain attached to youthful virtues as being the gold standard and ignore some of these aging-related virtues. And as you said, as we get older, we don't run as fast. We don't jump as high. Um, we don't take the red eye from L.A. and then go to work the way we did 20 years ago. <laughs> no way. Right? I need a no. day. <laughs> I know. Yes. So, um, so, but instead of seeing these as emergent properties of a new set of virtues, we measure against our youthful standard and we go, wow, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. And it, that causes a lot of pain, a lot of pain, and a lot of suffering for people. So I agree, couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That, um, yeah, uh, I have, I, I have analogy, analogy. Analog- oh gosh, I can't talk. I have applied the analogy <laughs> that. Um, that seniors, uh, when we talk about seniors, when we say, let's say, a senior in high school or a senior in college, uh, we look to that as an accomplishment, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, when we talk about seniors, our senior population, all of a sudden it takes on a, a different view. We don't think of it as an accomplishment. And maybe if we, we apply that same way of thinking, uh, we would yeah. view seniors or older adults differently. Um, I think you call it like the second wind. I refer to it as like the third sure. act. Um, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 just another stage of life, and I I want to say you know we're we're just continuing life's journey into more advanced years. That's all it is. Um, we right. mourn when somebody. Uh, passes away prematurely, dies at a younger age, whether it's their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, right? Uh-huh. We say, oh, right. my God, they didn't have the opportunity to live, mm-hmm. live a longer life, maybe appreciate their family or, or achieve certain goals that they wanted to achieve. But when a person lives to advanced ages, all of a sudden we have a different view of that. It's mm-hmm. like an oxymoron in a way. Well, you know, here, uh, yes. And here's a, the really bakes your noodle. Um, in the entire history of humanity, there's never been more older people on the planet in the, in the history, history of humanity. People who have... Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I did get distracted, but... Um, That's okay. <laughs> so um, when we think about this second bite of the apple that you're talking about, you know, the third act or, you know, getting your second wind or whatever you want to call it. 
Um, the, one of the most important things to me is that you have to, you have to be willing to let go of some things in order to take hold of other things. So mm-hmm. I'll tell you a very, very quick story about this um, that um, was, had a big impact on me. I was in New York City a few years back, and uh, I was out to dinner with a couple uh, the husband was uh, w- really a world-class athlete, and his wife was a normal person. So she had married this world-class athlete, and we were out to dinner. And, uh, you know, it came up that I'm a geriatrician, and I do what I do with older people. And he's like, God, we're aging. That's horrible. <laughs> and then <laughs> and he's like, and you know what? I can't run as fast as I used to, and I can't, I can't jump as high as I used to. And he goes on and, and then, you know, has his little rant. And you know how married couples are. They're like, um, you know, the wife is eating her salad while he does his thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and winds down. And she looks at him and goes, yeah, that's true. And you know something else? You're a lot nicer person than you used to be. Ah, and boom, you know, one of those moments that just hit him, it really hit him that he was, he had, what he had lost in speed and strength, there was a compensating element of compassion and loving that had come into his life. And, you know, he, he grumbled a little about that. And then we went on to other topics, <laughs> other topics. But right. m- my, point, my point is that people who remain wedded to who they were mm-hmm. will never discover who they can be. And that's, a, that's the crime. That's the real damage that um, an obsession with youth does. It's, you know, it's fine to... to put young people on magazine covers and go, look, they're so beautiful, and they're so strong, and they're, they're look, at, look at them, they're great. There's no problem with that. The only problem is forgetting that there's also beauty and strength in age. They just don't look the same. They're not, they're, they're a different manifestation of that virtue, and it's informed by a lifetime of experience. So, you know, that's, absolutely. That's yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's I, I, I uh, I've that. said this on, on previous um, episodes that I've had that uh, on one episode we had a, um, a friend of mine. She actually was an undergraduate professor of mine at college, mm-hmm. and we're still friends. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. she helps take care of her, her grandchildren. And one day um, one of her mm-hmm. granddaughters said, uh, Nana, you have a lot of wrinkles. And she said, uh, these wrinkles say that I have a lot of experience in life, and I've earned these wrinkles. And I learned something from her that day because uh, in our youth-oriented culture and wanting to look young and remove wrinkles Mm -hmm. and do this, that, Mm -hmm. and the other thing to ourselves Mm -hmm. so that we Mm -hmm. maintain a certain youthful look, I realized Mm -hmm. the value of what she said. And um, yeah. so it's, it's, it's about appreciating that. What do, when your face changes and, and shows the years that you've lived, 
because mm-hmm. your skin changes, turgor changes, or it's le- elasticity, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. what does that yeah. represent? It, it actually, if we could look at that and, and realize that it represents something tremendously valuable, then that mm-hmm. can change our, um, our point of view. But you said something I'd like to just touch on briefly when you talked about the ever-aging planet because uh, the issue of global aging is an important one around the Mm -hmm. world. Uh, Every society is experiencing that as medicine has allowed us to live longer because we can treat diseases and whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. What what do you you see a difference emerging in the care for our ever-growing aging population around the globe? Yeah, I do. Um, actually, I think I'm, I'm, an, I'm optimistic, and that's hard to do right at the exact, this exact moment, but I'm optimistic that one of the lessons we as a species are going to learn from this terrible pandemic um, that we're afflicted with right now, one of the things we're going to learn from it is that it's not a good idea to take frail older people and pack them into large oh buildings. God. Oh, my goodness. So, oh. <laughs> I, you know, if it was ever a good idea, I'm not sure. But now, now we know it's not a good idea. So right. if you think about, you know, a pendulum, um, if you go back pre-World War II, there, there were a scattering of nursing homes around America that – you know, a little, there's a little bit of that. But, um, but after the World War II, the pendulum swung toward institutionalization. And I think really now we're seeing the pendulum swing toward home and community, toward the mm-hmm. home and community, and how the home and community is really where people should be supported. And... Um, People should, to the best, as much as possible, be able to remain in contact and in touch, literally in touch with their closest family and friends. And we have a, um, we have the means to do that now. That uh, with technology and other things that maybe wasn't possible 20 years ago. Right. Absolutely. And. Um Something that I, that's a subject that's near and dear to my heart is that uh, there are so many older people in this country from other countries um, and so many caregivers mm-hmm. in this country from other countries that that's mm-hmm. something, and, and we need more caregivers because as mm-hmm. the population continues to grow and there are more older people mm-hmm. that are going to need care, obviously we're going to need more caregivers. And um, that's a, a subject that I think uh, needs some addressing in terms of well, culturally I, how a, we... Yeah. yeah. Can I make right. a comment about that? Because we have access to all the caregivers, caregivers we need. You know what the problem yes. is? We don't pay them enough. Oh, amen to that. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, listen, if, if being a Shabazz or, you know, working as, as a, a, a caregiver or support to older people, let's say that that gave you a, a solid middle-class life, okay? Let's, that's, I'm not talking about being rich. I'm just saying, you know, being a care professional 
caregiver for older people meant you were solidly in the middle class, you know, with health benefits, vacation, put some money away for college for the kids, good place to live, you know, go on holiday in the summer. If you did that, you would discover that people would flock to the work because it's great work. Right. And it's awesome. It's incredible. But we, as a society, have chosen to reward people who accept that calling, you know, and do that work. We pay them the, sometimes the absolute minimum allowed by law. Um, and that's, that's why we don't, that's why we have a caregiver crisis. It's because we don't pay for what the work is worth. I mean, the unfortunate reality is that a lot of people who employ um, caregivers are competing against the fa- fast food industry. Um, yeah. For yeah. which, which is, I mean, it just doesn't really make sense. I've heard, no. uh, I heard one uh, certified nurse assistant um, say once that we used to be considered considered uh, a necessity and now we're sacrificial. And that's, yeah. if people feel that, then how are they going to be drawn to do this kind of work? Well, there's one, one other thing I wanted to talk about, which is your Minka Homes, uh, which mm-hmm. obviously uh, is dedicated to having more appropriate living environments for older people. So mm-hmm. uh, can you, would you talk about that a little bit? Well, you know, I'll just say, and this is kind of a few general ideas. I know we're getting close to a close, but um, one thing I want to say to people listening is be wary of your house. And I just want to say as a geriatrician, I know from experience that um, a lot of people love their house, but I can also tell you your house does not love you. (laughs) And it does not. And since the end of World War II, houses have doubled in size and there's half as many people living in them. So there are people listening right now to this podcast who are living in a house that's too big. And what I always would tell people who came to me with concerns about this is big house, small life, small house, big life. Mm-hmm. That's the key. You've got to choose because you, you don't get to have both. You either have to have a, a house that does not weigh you down, does not, does not put you at risk of illness, injury, financially. You, know, you need, as we get older, we benefit from smaller, more compact housing that's designed to enable us to, to uh, adapt to changing mobility, changing cognition, and none of these single-family homes were designed for this. So that, the classical American single-family home is a terrible place to grow old. And mm. so over the past three or four years, I've been working with people on developing a concept of a small house that is optimized for independence that helps people be independent longer and helps save them money 
and helps them feel like they're doing a good job taking care of their house because that's one of the problems people run into um, uh, with big houses is they, they have a hard time keeping up with the demands for maintenance. And I'll close with just saying this. If your house has gutters, be afraid, okay? Because climbing up on the ladder to clean the gutters has ended more lives than you want to think about. Uh, I had a a patient not too long ago. That's exactly what happened. He he was climbing up um, either to help uh, do something with his gutters or his friend's gutters, Mm -hmm. and he fell. Mm -hmm. And, of of course, that changed his life and his his family's life. Consequently, yeah. but this the homes are quite small. I understand. Um, yeah, right? so like, we think we think that um, this is called singles and couples housing. It's not family housing. So if you're going to go have five kids, you're not going to be interested in this. Right. Um, so uh, it they range from about 350 square feet to about 750 square feet. Mm. So a lot of people would go, oh, that's so small, but. They're inexpensive to live in. They're easy to take care of. They have what you need and nothing more. And the whole idea of the house is to enable you to have a big life mm. um, instead of investing yourself in taking care of a, a big, old, rambly, empty house. So would people have to um, buy a piece of property? I mean, how would they go mm. about getting a Minka home or finding out about Minka homes, actually? Well, there's, uh, there's a website called MyMinka, M-Y-M-I-N-K-A.com. They can read more about it there. But, but the big idea is that, and this has been done for actually millennia, um, there's a tradition of building a smaller second uh, residence on a plot of land. So the big house is where the family with the kids lives, and the small house is where uh, older relatives live. Mm-hmm. Um, many cultures have done this, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, in the in legal language, they call this an accessory dwelling unit or an ADU, uh-huh. and um, it's just a way to stay at home on your own property. Uh, but live in a place that's much more congenial to an aging body. Right. So I, I'm I'm likening that to something like an in-law apartment or something, yeah, uh, only a sure. separate you dwelling. Bet. Yeah. Or you know it can be connected, but but people, you know, one of the badges of adulthood, and or let's just say maturity, is we get to have control over our own privacy. And uh, you can do that with an attached unit, absolutely. But, you know, one of the things about a detached unit is it really marks the space as belonging uh, to someone else and for a purpose that is, um, uh, you know, for their use. So that's the, that's the key. Now, I, I know, uh, and you, we both know, actually, lots of people who have had and uh, have had that kind of living experience and I'll just kind of wrap up by saying my my family, when I was growing up, my uh, grandfather came back from the war, and uh, I come from a family of kind of tradesmen. So they built um, for him and his wife, that was my 
mother's parents, the family built a, a little house for them to live in behind my great grandmother's house, and that's where that's where my mom grew up. So, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. So this is really not the opposite of a new idea, and uh, right. I like I like it because people can. It's something people can do. You don't have to be a multimillionaire. You know, our our family right. had very limited means, but we were able to do it. So, well, that that really sounds fantastic, and it it is. That's for people who can remain in a dwelling and live independently. But mm-hmm. it, it really what yeah. you're saying when you're talking about the greenhouse project, it almost like extends that into a yeah. larger. A larger, um, I don't want to say facility because that's an institutional word, a larger building. Um, yeah. Because when you go to, um, when you go to a uh, greenhouse um, mm-hmm. environment, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, I, I was corrected because I'm used to coming from an institutional setting, um, <laughs> calling them units or whatever, and they, I was corrected immediately. <laughs> These are people's homes. Yeah, These are not right. units. These are people's homes. <laughs> and um, yeah. when actually when I left, uh, I think it was Chelsea Jewish, um, mm-hmm. I, I said I, I could see uh, if, if, I, if it eventuated that I'd, I'd have to move into a, a place mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. that it would be a yeah. place like this. So they right. really, uh, it's really remarkable. What you've created is really remarkable, and I'm, well, I'm sure the listeners you, just learned so much. I know for me this was just an unbelievably phenomenal experience to share this time with you, have this conversation, yeah. and, and have the listeners um, hear about what, you, what you're, you've done throughout your life to help how we care about our elders. So thank you so much, Dr. Thomas, yeah. for taking the time. Thanks, Phyllis. Hey, you and, keep up um, the good work. Thanks a lot. Please uh, join us on our next episode of Seniors Straight Talk for more informative conversations uh, on the senior years of our lives. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.